So we begin a series tonight in the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians, the first 14 verses. And as I shared with you Sunday, the book of Ephesians is really about discovering our identity in Christ. Who are we? And maybe even, to say it better, who God meant us to be. In other words, the book of Ephesians should inspire us to aspire to be who God created us to be, who God desires us to be as his people, as the church. And so what I'd like to do in these 14 verses, I thought it laid out really nicely, is that as Paul is sort of declaring the panorama of grace, he's very Trinitarian, if you will, in his comments in these first 14 verses, as he is throughout the letter. He makes sure he mentions God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit because all three are very active and instrumental and essential to our identity and who we are and what God wants us to become. And so tonight, what I want us to see in these 14 verses that Paul lays out for us is the God of our salvation, the greatness of our salvation, and the goal of our salvation. And the first thing I want us to see here is that Paul gives the sort of his common greeting. He says in the first couple verses, this is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice verse 3, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. He first wants to direct our attention to God the Father, and so that's where I want to spend a few moments with you tonight. Looking at, first of all, God the Father, the God of our salvation. And I want us to see a couple things about him. First of all, notice he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I mean, we as God followers should, should count our blessings every day and feel blessed and, and, and acknowledge the, the blessing that literally is on us and in us every day because we have been blessed by God the Father. And notice that Paul says he's not only blessed us, but then in verse 4 he says he chose us. And God the Father chose us because we would have never chosen him. Remember what John said in 1 John, we love because he first loved us? Even as we just sang about his reckless love, listen, God is the one that initiated this because we never would have. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. If God would not have come after us, we would have never went after him. And so not only has God the Father blessed us, but God the Father chose us, and we'll come back to verse 4 in a little bit later time. And then notice verse 5. God the Father has adopted us as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. So he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us, and then he's adopted us to be literally his children 
in his family, as we talked about on Sunday, 1 John 3, 1. See what sort of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called God's children, and indeed we are, 1 John 3, 1. The Father. Sometimes I think that the Father sort of gets a bad rap in this way. It's like, well, we know Jesus loved us. He died for us. And, we, you know, from very early on in Sunday school, you know, we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I guess, you know, in, in some way we, we may feel like the Holy Spirit loves us too, but it, it's almost like, especially with some Christians, like the, the Father's like reluctant to, to, to love us in some way or, or that, that the Son and the Spirit has to like, you know, get, get the Father to a certain place where then he's okay with us. no. That is not the message of the Bible. God the Father loves us as much as God the Son and God the Holy Spirit ever has or ever will or ever did. There's nothing in God the Father that is not for us any more than God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. And I think that's one of the things that Paul wants to remind us of here in the first couple of verses of the book of Ephesians. Notice something else, though. And this is something that we don't think a lot about. And that is, God loved us so much, God the Father loved us so much, that he was willing to release and sacrifice, notice in verse 6, his dearly loved son. In other words, let's not forget that everything that Jesus went through as the Son of God the father had to let go of the son in a sense and release him and, and be willing to sacrifice him. That's how much the father loves us. Now, let's think about that. Any of us who have children, would we have given them up knowing what they were going to have to endure and go through and, and all of that, the, the horrendous emotional and physical and spiritual suffering to a group of people that many of them would never even embrace what he did? Would we let go of our sons and daughters that way? And, and what Paul is reminding us of is we too little as Christians think about how much the Father loved the Son, Jesus, and yet, by allowing him to come to this earth and, and go through all that he did, that shows also how much the Father loves us. Because it was no small thing to let his son, his dearly loved son, go through all that, especially knowing as the Father, his son was sinless, his son was perfect, his son did not deserve any of that, and yet he did. So no wonder then, in these first 14 verses especially, Paul not only begins to lay out the God of our salvation, but notice he lays out the goal of our salvation. In fact, he begins in verse 3, blessed. And notice he says, blessed is God the Father, not, you know, we should, no. God the Father is already being blessed in heaven. And we need to, 
come alongside and begin to bless the Father as well because of all that the Father has done for us. He needs to be blessed. He needs to be acknowledged. He needs to be adored, you see. He needs to be praised. And then three times throughout these first 14 verses, notice the goal that God did all this, but notice verse 6 to the praise of the glory of his grace is what the end is to be. Notice verse 12, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, the very end, to the praise of his glory. In fact, if you go back up to verse 11, notice God had one purpose, one purpose, and, and he, Paul goes on to say in verse 11, God will accomplish all, everything that he sets out to do. And the one purpose God had was that all of this would end to the praise of his glory. In a sense, what Paul is saying there is God created us to be his worshipers. That's why we were created, to the praise of his glory. Over and over and over it says that. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says that God's glory is to be in the church. And Paul even says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether we eat, whether we drink, or whatever we do, all of it should be done to the what? The glory of God. That's why we're here. When you and I begin to understand the God of our salvation and the greatness of our salvation, it should lead us to the goal of our salvation, which is to be as we said earlier, a devoted, enthusiastic worshiper of God. That again, the more we know about God and we know who he is and what he's done for us, the more it should stir within us the, the desire and the want to, to say, God, I, I want to praise you. I want to adore you. I want to acknowledge you. I want to bless you for all that you have done for me, for blessing me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Sad to say that many times as Christians, we go through our days, our weeks, our months, and as if we're sort of lacking, deficient, like God's holding out on us, and yet the Word of God says, no, He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We lack nothing in Christ. So Paul doesn't leave it there with God the Father. He moves on to the Son. And what I want us to see in these first 14 verses is how Christ-centered everything. Or let me say it this way. How in God's plan, God centered everything and brought everything under Christ. So that what I want us to see tonight is that, and this is so amazing how this is going to tie into Sunday's message, when you and I have Jesus Christ and when we center our lives in him, we have everything. That there's nothing you and I really need outside of Christ. With Christ, we have everything. Without Christ, we have nothing of value or worth. So notice in all these verses how Paul continues to point this out. If you go back up to verse 3, He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, but notice those last two words, in Christ. Then notice verse 4. 
He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, we were adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. He freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son these things. Verse 7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. Verse 9, he according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, one day he's going to head up all things in Christ. Verse 11, in Christ we too have been claimed as God's own possession. Verse 12, those who've set their hope on Christ. Verse 13, those who have come to believe in Christ. I mean, does Paul need to go on? <laughs> over and over and over again. He is hammering this point home. Everything, everything that we have as Christians, everything that is ours is because we believe in Jesus Christ. And that because of that, all of this, all of the wonderful blessings, all of the resources, everything that is within Christ is now ours. Think about it. Isn't that amazing? To think that all I have to do is keep my life and everything centered on Jesus Christ and stay within him, and I've got everything I'll ever need. And that within Christ, I will find fulfillment and satisfaction. Outside of Christ, I never will. In fact, let's get a little specific because we did so with God the Father. We talked about how the Father blessed us and how he chose us and how he adopted us to be his children. But notice Christ. Verse 7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. We have been set free from the power of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, oh, and we've been forgiven of all of our trespasses in Christ. Our slate has been wiped clean. And of course he adds, according to the riches of his grace. It's not because we deserved it. It's simply because it's what God wanted to do. In fact, he says this even about the Father at the end of verse 5. All that God the Father did for us was because of the pleasure of his own will. He, he wanted to. He just wanted to do this for us. And the same thing is true of Christ. Notice it says one day that the plan of God in verse 10 is to head up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. You know what Paul's referring to there, what Paul refers to in the book of Philippians, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, one day, everything is in the universe going to be brought under the authority and the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Everything, everyone. There's not going to be anything that is outside of Christ one day because everything is being brought under him. So that's why he encourages believers today who have a relationship with Christ to bring our life and everything in our life and everything about our life under Christ because one day it's all going to get there anyway, you see. He talks about our hope 
is on Christ. Everything about our future, everything that we believe is going to happen one day, it's all, it's all centered in Christ. Everything. In fact, before we take another break and sing a song of praise and recognition and blessing to Jesus, the Son, I want us to just for a moment think about, and, and I'm not going to cover all of this tonight that's in here, but I want us to just think for a moment about a couple aspects that Paul also includes in here about the greatness of our salvation. And what I mean by that is just how comprehensive it is. Let's first of all look at it's to anyone who believes. Notice Paul's language in verse 4. He chose us in Christ before the foundation. Every, every Christian. So it's not like certain Christians get all this stuff and certain Christians don't. We all get it in Christ, you see. Then like he says in verse 7, in him we, plural, have redemption through his blood to forgiveness. It, it's not like, you know, again, one Christian gets all these great blessings and benefits and all this and somebody else doesn't. It's everyone who's in Christ gets all of it, you see. All of it. But here's what I also want us to see. The greatness of our salvation goes all the way back to the beginning of time and even in a sense before time as we even understand it, not that we know it personally. Because notice I want you to go back up to verse 4. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he chose us to be holy and unblemished in his sight in love, meaning that God, even before the universe was created, knew what was going to happen one day and was going to make provision and make a plan that, that would take away whatever was blocking, whatever obstacles were in the way, whatever was hindering us as his creation, yes, even his sinful creation, from having an opportunity, if we so chose Christ, to be as close to him as we possibly could be. Before the foundation of the world. So what I want us to understand today about how great our salvation is, is salvation was not an afterthought with God, or that the sin in the garden took God by surprise, like, oh my goodness, Adam and Eve have sinned, now what am I going to do? i got to throw something together at the last minute. No, no, no. God before the foundation of the world. And not only did he have a plan for how this was all going to be, he knew you and me before the foundation of the world. I mean, think about that. Be before he ever created even the universe, before in the beginning, you know, there was light and all that he brought forth in Genesis 1. Before that, God knew you and knew that one day you would exist and that you would be here. Now, go even forward. Then Paul says in verse 10, toward the administration of the fullness of times. So now we go from, in a sense, all the way back before the foundation of the world, all the way into eternity future. And here's what Paul is saying about how great our salvation is. God had us way before anything was ever made and will have us all the way till everything is continuing throughout our eternal existence. Paul says, how good is that? That, that? 
we even as Christians many times, if we understood what Paul is saying here in these 14 verses, it would be like, why do I worry about my life? Because here's how I want to illustrate that. I want you in your mind to think and, and to visualize this line. It's like a, a dark line. And that as you're looking at this line, you, you can't see the end of it. It just goes on and on and on. And, and you can look as far as you want to see. You cannot see the end of this line. It just, it just goes on and on and on. And then somewhere in that line, what I want you to picture in your mind's eye is a dot. And that dot represents our little earthly life. And what Paul is saying is this. God has this all figured out and all, everything taken care of as long as the line is from eternity past to eternity future. Why cannot we trust him for the little dot of our life on this earth? Whenever we trust him for the rest of the line, you see. Because our little earthly life, this little dot in the line of eternity is just a, a speck. And if you and I have entrusted our very eternal existence to this God, then why can we not trust him for the little dot in the middle of this great line? That's what Paul's saying. That's the greatness of our salvation. It should be so encouraging to all of us that in Christ, in Christ, we have everything we're ever going to need. And there's no reason for any of us to look outside of Christ for anything because if we've got Jesus, we've got all that we need. And that's what Paul really wants these Ephesian Christians to understand so that it will lead us to the praise of the glory of his grace, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. That the more we think about and understand and know what God has done in Christ for us, how can we not praise him? So obviously we don't want to leave out the Holy Spirit and neither did Paul. So I want us to look at verses 13 and 14 tonight. So remember here, Paul is basically declaring what I call the panorama of grace that comes from God. And he's declaring to us the God of our salvation, the greatness of our salvation in many aspects, and the goal of our salvation, which is to the praise of his glory, to be worshipers of God. And he's already talked about the Father, and obviously we've talked a little bit about the Son, but then notice in verses 13 and 14, he also wants to mention the Holy Spirit. He says, and when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. A couple things. First of all, Paul says we're marked by the Holy Spirit. That word marked signifies a couple things. First of all, it means we're his, we're God's. In fact, he even says that. 
We're God's own possession, verse 14, and that's not the first time he says it. Look at verse 11. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. We're his, and he takes responsibility for us to oversee us, to care for us, to protect us, to provide for us. He is our shepherd, and that the indwelling Holy Spirit marks us as God's, you see. The word marked also speaks of authentication. You see, it's the one thing that cannot be counterfeited or duplicated. You see, a, a person can come to church and not be a Christian. A person can serve and minister and not be a Christian. A person can read their Bible. A person can pray. A person can do all these things and not be a Christian person can hang around other Christians. person can follow Jesus and follow the teachings of Jesus. Look at Judas. <laughs> a person can do all those things, but the one thing that truly authenticates and brings out the reality of a relationship with God is the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the mark. That, that's the one thing that truly is like, okay, and that's why the fruit of the Spirit is so important for us to, to manifest in our life because that's really the evidence that the Holy Spirit lives within us, is when you and I bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So we were marked with the Holy Spirit. Notice also, though, he goes on to say the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. The seal speaks about protection and permanence. When they would seal something in ancient times, it was not to be broken until it was obviously to be opened by the proper authorities. And so it speaks about, again, a permanent thing and a protective thing. And we know that to be the case because he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit is our down payment of our inheritance, and I'll come back to that in a minute, until the redemption of God's own possession, us. In other words, until we've been totally set free. Are we redeemed now? Absolutely. We are redeemed from the penalty of sin and we have been redeemed from the power of sin. But we've not yet been redeemed from the very presence of sin. And one day when you and I go to be with Jesus and we see him as he is and we become like him, then that's how long the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, until that time. So he, he's not going to you know, at any point, cut out on us. He is in us until that moment that we're in glory, that we're in heaven with Jesus, and then we don't need his indwelling presence anymore. We will be glorified ourselves. Our old nature will be taken away, and we will be in the presence of glory forever and ever. But he says, also verse 14, that the Holy Spirit is our down payment, meaning He's the first installment of much more to come. He's our guarantee of much more to come, which is why then Paul also says the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus promised his followers, if I go away and I go up to heaven, I will send the Holy Spirit back to you. 
And, and simply by you and I even having the indwelling Holy Spirit within us as Christians, it is a reminder to us that God's word is trustworthy, that God is reliable, that God is dependable, that God keeps his promises because the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is proof that God keeps his promise. And there could be no greater promise than that God himself through the Holy Spirit would live within those who believe in Christ. The down payment of much more to come, though, our inheritance. You see, God has promised us so much more to come. In fact, way more than he's ever going to bestow on us here because if he bestowed all of the best blessings and all the great stuff here, then we would have to leave it behind when we went to glory forever and ever. The reason why God doesn't give us most of what he's got in store for us here is because we'd have to leave it behind and we could never experience it or enjoy it for all of eternity. The reason why God is waiting till we get up there is so that we can experience it for all of eternity and enjoy the inheritance for all of eternity. And so there's so much more to come. You see, for the Christian, the indwelling Holy Spirit reminds us or should remind us every day, the best is yet to come. We've got so much to look forward to. We've got glory that's awaiting us forever and ever. Again, our little earthly life is a dot. All that we have awaiting us is an unending line that never, never ends. Billions and billions of years from now, we'll still be up there experiencing God and engaging with God and enjoying our inheritance and enjoying the presence of God and the people of God. And we can't even begin to wrap our minds around eternity. And yet that's what we have to look forward to. Not this earthly little speck of life that we have here, but what awaits us. And the Holy Spirit that indwells us continues to try to get us to focus beyond this life. And as Jesus encourages to lay up treasure in heaven and so the whole Paul is sort of again overcome and overwhelmed by the fact that yes God the Father bestowed his love on us and he, he blessed us with every spiritual blessing and he chose us before the foundation of the world and he adopted us as his children and look at all that the son has done for us humbled himself became obedient even to the point of death for us. But let's not forget the Holy Spirit because out of the Godhead, out of the Trinity, it is the Holy Spirit that literally takes up residence within us. Permanent residence never leaves us. That's why God is never far away from us because he's literally planted himself within us. Amazing, isn't it? You see, God wants to be so close to us that he literally says, I'm coming inside of you. And again, those of you that were here tonight, you're going to see how amazingly God sort of tied these two messages from this Wednesday to Sundays together because we're going to be talking more about that. That's the anointing that God gave us is the presence of his Holy Spirit within us that John's going to talk about in 1 John. And John is saying to us, Listen, the very presence of the Holy Spirit in us reminds us that God is all in with us whether we're all in with him or not. Because God is literally in the presence of the Holy Spirit and person of the Holy Spirit has literally camped himself inside of us until the day of redemption, until we go to glory. And he's not leaving. 
So all those days we ignore God and we neglect God and we don't fellowship with God and we've got nothing to do with God and all that, God the Holy Spirit's still there. We may not want anything to do with God, but God's right there. He doesn't leave us nor forsake us. He's constant. And Paul simply, as he begins to think about this, the wonder of it all, just says, what more can we say but to the praise of his glory? That God thought so much of us and loves us so much that he literally placed himself within us, within our earthly bodies, to be with us through everything, in everything, until the day we go to glory to be with Jesus. You see, Paul's just simply saying, our identity, who we are as the church, as God's people, has to start with coming to understand a little bit about our God. Because again, the more we understand God and who he is and what he's done for us, how can we not become devoted worshipers of God when we know who God is and what God has done and what God continues to do for us and what God will do for us for all of eternity? So we're going to end by singing a song about the Holy Spirit tonight. And I think this is a new song, right? Yeah. So it's a great song about yielding to the Holy Spirit and just letting the Holy Spirit have his way in our life. And I hope that as we end tonight, that that, that will just be the desire of our heart, that the God who lives within us will be the one that we just turn our lives over to and realize again before we end tonight that this is the same God that before the foundation of the world all the way through the fullness of times, he's got us. And if he's got us along that long line, then we can trust him for that little speck that's our life on this earth.